need to be strong Seems like something has gone wrong Cause I've been waiting here so long But you see each tear As the months have turned to years For some reason you must want me can see you're breaking up my fellow ground and in this season of such barrenness lord i have
Amen. That's that was very, very wonderful. And very much in line with the message, which is always nice. And I love that song on Christ the Solid Rock. I stand. I it's so strange how our God is so incredible because I don't remember all the details, but I do remember sitting on my grandmother's lap and she played the piano and she sang that song to me and when I came to this church and I've told the story before but I think it's it's a blessing is that when we sang the song initially after I was saved 16 years ago and that song just came back to my mind I'm thinking Lord Jesus you were calling me even then and that's precious to think of how our God calls us it's 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 amazing um, we're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter 24. And I, I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about it the other day. And I was thinking the title of this message would be, like, He Still Wants Our Hearts to Burn. And I thought about, um, and the men here who, who like racing might in, like this whole analogy of pit stops. I'm not a, a racing fan, and I kind of can relate to some of the women here who aren't, because how can you imagine that men would, and there's women now doing it as well, women drivers who are really good and they're driving around a circle going 50, 200, 250 miles an hour, and they do it for hours. And, you know, those who love that, you know, God bless you, but <laughs> that's kind of like hard for me to understand. But I thought about that as being kind of a comparison to way, the way our walk is. Because if we think about driving, generally speaking, we don't drive like that every day. I don't get up and drive 200 miles an hour for such a long period of time. I drive to work and then I come home and then I drive for a period of time. It could be like for Toyotas, there's like a five month period. It's like six months or 5,000 miles before your first service. So what happens is after you go that distance, five, six months or 5,000 miles, you go in and you get a oil change or whatever is needed. Well, these guys who drive around, they drive, you know, 200 plus miles per hour, so they have to stop more frequently, and that's what the pit stop is. It's where they stop so that they can get gas, of course, uh, their tires wear out, and uh, any problems that need correction are magnified in that kind of speed and that kind of race. And I thought about that being kind of the analogy that we need to use as far as um, we need to stop more often as Christians because, and as people as well, we need to just really pay attention. The life that we live is, is going pretty quickly. I mean, you look at all the situations that people are dealing with right now in the church. 
And life is not like a daily just going to work and coming home. It's like I feel the analogy of being like these race drivers and driving around so frantically that I need to make pit stops very often. And I hope that this can just remind us that we need to make the pit stop more often than not because there's wear and tear on this body, this soul, this heart, in this life. And the pit stop that we need to make more often would be to go to our Jesus, not to go to men's and have our tires replaced or our batteries or gas, but that's where we go to the word of God and we go to church and we're in fellowship with believers. That's the pit stop that we need to do. And we need to do it often because of the pace, the race that we're on. And I just want you to think about that today as we study these travelers, because they're just like us. When we go to Luke 24, we're going to go to those gentlemen, or we know one gentleman, it could have been a lady with him, the road to Emmaus. Starting in verse 13, it says, Now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you are walking along? They stood still, their faces were downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here? here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and, and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a visitor of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, Is it true? For it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. 
Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus had recognized them when he had broken bread. Wow. What a tremendous, tremendous passage of scripture. An unbelievable passage because it's talking about two people who had anticipated that something was going to happen that was special. And their anticipation was that Christ, the one they had expected to be the savior, to redeem Israel, that he was going to do something miraculous. He was going to save them. They anticipated that. Now, if we go back 24, and we're going to go to verse 9, When you think about these two people, because if you just read the first verse, it says, now the same day, two of them. Two of who? Two of them. And you'd have to start and read the whole portion of 24, but this section, I think, will make it clear. It says, when they came back, and it's talking about the women. Now this is, remember, Christ had already died. He had died, and it had been three days, and he had prophesied, and the scriptures had prophesied that in three days, he was going to rise. So there was anticipation, there was fear, there was concern, there was doubt, there was a lot of emotions that were in this region that we can't fathom and can't really talk about because we weren't there, but I can tell you the emotions were very deep in that area because there was expectations and there was thoughts and there were questions and there was a lot of hopelessness because they had gotten to the third day. You know how you anticipate something and the day comes when it was supposed to arrive and you were supposed to get this thing in the mail or something special was going to happen. Someone was going to call you that was really important to you and that day passed. How you felt Anticipating it was great, but then when that day hit, how hopelessness can set in and fear and dissatisfaction can set in. So if we go to verse 9, it says, When they came back, this is the women from the tomb, they told of these things, told these things to the eleven and to all the others. Because they had actually gone to the tomb with spices, and the Lord had sent angels to tell them, He's not here. He's risen. So they had a message now. They were kind of stimulated now to say, maybe it is true. Maybe he has come back. So they went back from the tomb, and they went and told the 11 and all the others. So these women are coming back to the 11, the apostles. And the apostles are sitting there. They're hurting because it's the third day and no Christ. And the others. There was other people with them that were listening to this word. And these two on the road to Emmaus were in the group of the others. So they had just heard. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them 
who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Wow. Like nonsense. One version, King James Version, which I really liked how they put it, says their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they believed them not. And the Phillips translation says, but it struck them as sheer imagination, and they did not believe the women. They stopped. They met the Christ. And now we go to verse 13 or so where it just talks about them meeting the Christ. And we find the two of them going off to Emmaus. And as they went and they were deep in conversation about what had happened. That's what's going on here with this trip to Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem with news. And they don't know how to process it, but obviously it says that it seemed like sheer imagination. They didn't get it. And that's why when the Lord came up to them, it says that they stopped and their faces were drawn with misery. When the Lord came up, he says, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening? What happened? Why are you walking along? Why are you discouraged? Why is your face downcast? And then they go on to tell him the story. And they end with, but they did not see him. We're walking along today on a journey just like these two people. And what do we see? And my first point is just, as we travel down the road, what do we see? What road? Our road. Your road, my road. What do you see? What these people saw was that Christ had not risen. They didn't see him. They didn't feel his presence, why? because they had anticipated how it was going to happen. They anticipated how God was going to reveal his plan to them. And their expectation wasn't seen. And so that their depression, their anxiety was extreme. What do we see? What do you see? As you're walking down your road, Do you see foreclosures rising? Do you see, see jobs harder to find? Do you see the swine flu epidemic out of control? Do you see health issues that just don't make sense? Do you see death knocking at the door? Do you see financial issues, job issues, people issues, church issues, relatives, kids, animal issues? Life issues, do you see that? What do you see? Spurgeon mentioned something that was beautiful. He says, the two disciples who walked to Emmaus 
and conversed together. They were sad. And they were true believers. We may not judge men by their occasional feelings. The possession of gladness is no clear evidence of grace. And the existence of depression is no sure sign of insincerity. The brightest eyes that look for heaven have sometimes been hidden so that they could not see their heart's true joy. But he goes on to say, be not cast down, my brethren and sisters, if occasionally the tears of sadness bathe your cheeks. Jesus may be drawing near to you, and yet you may be troubled by the mysteries of grief. Do not think, beloved, that you are depressed and sorrowing today. And do not forget the promises that are revealed in God's word. Look at what's happening. As we travel, look around. Look inside. What do you see? What's bothering you? What's concerning you? These people were concerned. But the reason that they were concerned is because they didn't see their Savior they didn't realize that he was there walking along with them. And isn't it amazing how we can do that? If we're true believers today, Jesus is walking along with us right now. He's in this room, and everywhere we go, he's there knocking on our door saying, it's going to be all right. You remember the promise I gave you? You remember how I showed you? this revelation about what was going to happen in this situation. Remember how I blessed you? Remember how I opened this door for you? Remember how I provided this special job for you or the special mate for you? Do you remember? He walks along and he says, don't listen to what you see and don't interpret life by what you see. He walked along with them with the purpose and he listened to them. You remember how it says that Jesus said, what's going on? What are you feeling? What do you mean? What things are you talking about? He asked us the question today. What's bothering you? What's concerning you? Why is your face downcast? Why are you so concerned? Why are you troubled? What a God that asked that question consistently with his children. Why are you so downcast? And they said, don't you see? Don't you know? Do we sometimes say that to the Lord? Don't you understand? Can't you see? Don't you know what I'm going through? Can't you see how I'm feeling in my household? Can't you see the pain I'm feeling as I deal with my spouse? Can't you see the fact that I don't really know if my job is going to be there? Don't you see that? Don't you know what's going on in Jerusalem? 
in San Ramon, in Danville, in Alameda County, in America? Can't you see it? Can't you see how it's out of control? Can't you see, Lord Jesus, that I don't really know what to do? Can't you see, Lord, that I'm in pain? Can't you see that I'm in tears? Can't you see that my health is concerning me? Can't you see that my testimony is now lost because I'm in sin? He says, yes, I see. Tell me all about it. Tell me all about it. Isn't it great that he didn't go in and say, I know what you're going through. I know you doubt that I came. I know that you doubt that I'm the Messiah. I know you doubt that I'm now been born, reborn in three days. I know you don't see that. I know that you don't realize that I've been risen and you don't agree and you don't believe that. I know that you don't believe that. And let me spank you because you don't believe. Let me discipline you because you don't really understand and you didn't trust me. No, he says, what thing? What do you have to say? What's going on? And then our second point is Jesus, master of corrective vision. Only the bread of life will open your eyes and minds. And that's beautiful because he did get a little bit strong with them, but it was gentle. Because it says, as they walked and talked along, Jesus himself came up along them, and he said to them, after hearing their story, and after hearing our story, because we give him a good story, don't we? We're good storytellers. Lord, don't you get it? Don't you see? Let me paint the picture of why I should be in agony, why I should be discouraged, why I should be depressed. Let me tell you, so we paint a good picture. We're great salespeople. So he listened to their story, and he said to them, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to, to believe all that the prophets had spoken. He says that to me. He says, Ron, how foolish you are. Not mean, not to put me down, but to correct me, correct my vision. Is how foolish you are. How could you be downcast? How could you look around and not see me? How could you walk down and not realize I'm right there with you? Didn't I tell you I'll never leave you nor forsake? Did I make a mistake with one of the words? Did I leave something out? Did I say I might leave you and I might forsake you if you don't deserve it? Or did I say I'll never leave you nor forsake you no matter what you do? I will never leave you. He said, did not the Christ have to suffer these things? He said, did not the plan of salvation have to work out like this? I had to come. I had to be beat, beaten. I had to die for you. I had to do that. And he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures. Now, Adol was a walker. This was a seven-mile walk. Adol walked seven miles. He probably can do it in an hour and 45 minutes. 
But when, sometimes when me and Ada were talking, when we're walking, we don't walk as fast, especially when the subject starts to get really, really deep. I really don't think they were walking fast. Because you know how you walk, and how I walk when I'm downcast. How you walk. It's like we mope around. He says, why are you so downcast? The Lord saw it. He saw it in their body language. Like, oh, woe is me. We're sad. And they had a reason to be sad. Because their perspective, what they saw, wasn't right. But he's the God of correcting our vision. So what did he do? He opened up the word. And you know, may I never, ever put down the word. He helped me to see that the importance of reading the word more often than not. Because God laid it out in the word. It says he opened the word to them. He explained from the beginning to the end of what was going to happen and how the prophets predicted it. And their step changed. I believe they walked differently. They started to kind of stand up and their spine raised and they started to walk a little bit more aggressively because they started to see God's plan and they started to understand the picture and their view opened and all of a sudden their vision was corrected because God corrected their vision by playing, playing the film and letting them see this all had to take place for us to arrive at this point. And now they started to have a little hope. It was beautiful. And I read it, it says, I've never had any reason to distrust him. A writer said that. He says, I've never had any reason to distrust him. These many years I've trusted him and he's never failed me once. Experienced Christians, Spurgeon writes, how can you ever waver in your confidence? Experienced Christians, Christians who've been there, done that, seen it. How can you waver in your confidence? If we disbelieve, is it not folly? If the Savior does not call us fools, we are forced to call ourselves so. We could not suppose that the promise, the covenant, the oath of God could fail. When we walk around like this, we think that his promise doesn't mean anything. And we can think we, mean, we believe it, but our actions show that we don't. And we know that verse is so beautiful, verse 30, where it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. The vision was now perfected. They saw him. I read the story that was by Ironside, and he was talking about a, um, he was preaching in an eastern city, it says that, and he went down to visit a mission, and the brother who was in charge of the mission told him that he stood at the pulpit one day and saw something remarkable that happened to him. He said he was standing at the pulpit, 
and he looked and the door opened and there was a gentleman walking in with a white robe. Coming to where the friend stood, the stranger looked up at him and said, I've come to take possession. I am the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend looked at him for a moment. At first, he thought perhaps the man was insane, a maniac. And then he said to him, because God gave him wisdom, he says, you say you are the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, yes, I am. He said, let me see your hands. So the man confidently held out his hands. He says, oh no, you're not my savior. My savior has the prints of the nails in each hand. And it says the man looked really hard at him. And then he turned and left. When the Lord broke bread, I could see him because as he's walking, probably walking down like this, hands, he broke bread. And then he gave it to them. He says their eyes were opened. Because he broke bread, their eyes were opened. Because he revealed the word, their eyes were opened. But it's because they saw the nail prints. Their eyes were really opened. They saw the evidence of the Savior. And they ran out then because he left them. And it says that they went back. But I know their walk was not the same because the verse says, where is it? 32? It says they were asking each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us and opened up the scriptures? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Seven more miles. But it was a different walk. It was exciting. They were not downcast anymore. And that's our Lord's That's his plan for us. Remember I was talking about the pit stop. This is a pit stop. Every time we sit at the Lord's feet, it's a pit stop. I'm going into the chambers and I'm saying, Lord, you got to help me to see things clearly. I need my vision corrected. I need to see you clearly. I need to understand the picture. And the picture is not the foreclosure. It's not the job situation. It's not the economy. It's not any of that. It's you are still on the throne and you still have everything under control. And I'm looking at your nail prints and I'm saying it's all going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. And there's a, a wonderful verse in first or second Peter. It says that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. 
He's given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge. Our knowledge of what? Of him. The bread. And I was reading a quote by this gentleman, Stanley Jones. It says, faith is not merely you're holding on to God. It's God holding on to you. And he will not let go. And then another verse I read, it was already a quote. It says, during an especially trying time in the work of China, Hudson Taylor wrote to his wife. He says, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. We have a quarter. And that's all we have. And we need to eat. And we need to exist. And we need to carry on the work. But that's all we have. But we have the promises of God. And my last question, which is the last point, is are our hearts burning today? Are your heart burning? your heart burning by hearing these words? Is the heart being just stimulated? Is, is the Lord Jesus talking to you and saying, don't you get it? Come to me, and I will give you rest. He says, this picture that you're seeing you can't pay attention to it. Don't look at it and figure out how I should work, what I should do, how I should deal with your life, how I should mandate what happens in your life, what kind of job, spouse, situation I should put you in, what kind of health I should give you. Don't try to tell me how to do my job as God. I know what's best for you, and if I say turn the spigot off, I have a reason for it. It's for your good. And I'm saying to you today, our hearts need to be burning for us to make a change, for us to be uplifted. And only the word and only Jesus can burn our hearts. There is no other way of having our hearts burnt. And they need to be burned with excitement and joy. Martin Luther says, come let us sing a psalm and drive away the devil. Let us sing a song and praise him and drive away Satan who's the tempter, who's the discourager, who's the one that says, that doesn't make sense. Why isn't your God coming through? Why are you having to deal with that? Why do you have a situation with your spouse? Why did he put you in this marriage? Why did he put you on that job? Why did he give you these children? Why did he not give you these children or this job or this spouse? Why did he do all these things? And Satan says, please look around at it and judge it by my parameters. Your God is not faithful. These people said when they left Jesus' presence, weren't our hearts burning as we looked at him? As we talk with him, something was different. I felt different. And God wants us to get on our knees and come to him every day because we need pit stops 
that are not infrequent. We don't need them to be every 5,000 miles. We need to come to him every few minutes, every hour of the day, and lay at his feet and say, Lord Jesus, have your way. What is it you want from me? Please burn my heart with a passion for you so that I can walk and do your work, so I can have the confidence that you're a God that understands and has everything under control, and you're leading me to heaven. And if you lead me on a bed of roses, praise God. If you lead me on a bed of nails, and that is your will, praise be to God. Are our hearts burning today? Virgin wrote, he says, we make ourselves suffer needlessly. There's enough bitter wells in the wilderness without our digging more. Because there are, aren't there? There's enough out there that we don't have to dig anymore. There's enough real causes for sorrow without inventing imaginary ones. And we do it. And Satan is like the great propositioner of that. He just loves to just feed us. This is real. This is real. It's not real. Can you imagine how foolish we can be? Where we can actually believe that somebody will call us or send us an email and say that you are going to be a millionaire. You lost a family member somewhere and they died and there's a bank account with your name on it, but you can't get the funds until you send me $5,000. It's a scam. And there's thousands of people that go for that scam, but we will not believe the promises of God. Think about what we believe. Think about what you believe and what I believe. Think about what we really believe and not believe the promises of God. He should never be doubted. Never. And the reason is because we don't believe the Bible to be true. Not 100%. There was a, a story where they talked about the, at the height of her fame as other women, and it was Donald Trump's breakup, this lady Maria, I don't know her name, Maria Maples. She spoke of her religious roots. She believed in the Bible. She told her interviewers and then added a disclaimer but you can't always take it literally and be happy. She believed in the Bible, but it, only if it makes sense for me. And Ronald Reagan wrote something beautiful. He says, within the covers of one single book, the Bible, all the answers to all the problems I face today are answered. If only we would read it and believe. Ronald Reagan wrote that. He said, only if we would just read it and believe it. And Elisha prayed in 2 Kings, says, Oh, Lord, open their eyes so that he may see. Open his eyes so that he may see. And I pray today that the Lord would open our eyes so that we can see. Let's go. Let's live in the word of God. Let's eat the word of God. Let's drink the word of God. Let's not listen to scam artists. Let's believe this book. This book has changed the lives 
of millions of people, and it continues to change it. But Satan, in these times, is looking to distract us, and he wants us to be like those two on the road to Emmaus where they're walking around downcast. Why? Because they're looking around and not seeing the truth. Jesus was alive, and they didn't know it. Jesus is alive now, and we better know it. And he's going to come to take this little church as well as all the other churches. He's going to come to take us to be with him. And he promised to do that, and he will do it. He promised to relieve all our suffering, and he will do it. He promised to give us a, a wonderful life, and he will do it. And he is doing it. So today, let us, let us burn for him. Let us love him so much, but let us not forget to spend our lives in the word of God and allow the Lord to have his way to change us, to make us who he wants us to be. And anyone here today, the Lord has walked through these doors, he's walking through, and he sees there are people here who might not know him today and he says you can actually be saved as well today because he's interested in bringing you to a knowledge of Christ and if you want to do that today I will just ask you to just come to someone today and tell them Adel's here Sylvia's in the back and Bill is here and say I want to get saved I want my heart to burn for Jesus I want to have hope. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you do walk with us, that you do come and intervene in our lives. And we need your intervention in our life today with all the problems and situation and issues that are going on in this world, Lord, that can drive us away from you, but help them to drive us to our knees. Help them to drive us to our Bible. Help them to just drive us to the cross. And I just glorify your name and love you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing in each one of our lives in this small church in the valley. May you continue to bless it in your name. Amen.